Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 56 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Glad to hear things are going better for you. Yep, much better. Leaps and bounds. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Those dark periods are never a fun time. Right, but they can sure make you appreciate the light times. That they can. I don't know, I've kind of had one of those periods for about three years or so, up until fairly recently. But at least things are looking up now, so... Uh, Something I was going to mention or announce or something, but now it seems to have left me. Um, Well, anyway, you can always... You can follow along with all the stories with us at globalgeeknews.com. And don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. Which, speaking of which, if anybody happens to know how to embed Silverlight videos into Word... Or Silverlight embedded videos into WordPress, please let me know. I can't seem to figure out how to get that to work properly. WordPress just doesn't like anything with an object tag for some reason, and it seems to be extra picky about Silverlight. So, if anybody happens to know anything about that, please shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, say something in the comments, something along those lines. But you can always find plenty of stuff at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or just click on the blog button on globalgeeknews.com. Uh, been meaning to get up my... Uh, write-ups and stuff from my trip to Microsoft. It just hasn't quite happened yet. Hopefully that'll get up tomorrow. I've just kind of been focusing a little bit on school and a couple other things. But hopefully those will get worked out here in the next day or so so I can focus on those for a few days. You have problems getting it up? Uh, no, not too much. It's just kind of... I write some, decide that I don't like it, go back, rewrite it. Decide that I don't like that, rewrite it. So it's just kind of... And that's kind of been in between homework and stuff with my grandma's cancer and everything else. And it's just kind of made for a hectic couple of weeks, I guess I'd say. I totally understand. Yeah, but... At least as, as far as the friend of her cancer goes, it, everything is apparently treatable. So that's the good news out of everything. That's good to hear. Did they say recovery time? Uh, no. I. From My understanding is the breast cancer or whatever, apparently it's estrogen-fed. So I guess they're going to give her some kind of estrogen blockers for the next year or whatever, and it should shrink up the cancer and it should go away. Oh, okay. Well, that's simple. No surgery at all? Nope. Oh, awesome. That's what it's I like was told, pen- anyway. Like penicillin. Just take this for a while, and it'll go away. Yeah, I never knew that they could treat cancer quite that way. That's kind of a surprise for me. Nice. All right, well, that sounds fairly effortless. Yeah, it shouldn't be too bad. But anyway, yeah, I'll get the Microsoft stuff up this week, I promise. Plus, I've got some... Try and get some videos chopped up of Microsoft Surface that I got to play with up there and get those up as well. Hopefully that'll take place this week. And otherwise, that's pretty much about it. Oh, 
Um, not sure when a new show will be coming out next week at our normal recording time next week. I've got a concert that I'm going to, but I'm sure we'll work something out and just and I will tweet when we will get a show up sometime next week. But speaking of the show, we'll go ahead and dive right into it, which, like I said, you can follow along at globalgeeknews.com. Got all the show notes there. Starting off with the big story of today, the Windows 7 phone, or Windows Phone 7 series, I should say, which is the strangest name I've ever heard, is a, is official, and apparently it's not going to have Flash out of the box, and multitasking is kind of questionable as well. Yeah, when I, I actually watched the demo, uh, to the 22-minute the demo that was on Channel, Channel 9. 9. Yeah. Channel 9, and um, it looks like there are still parts of it that they're still working out. So uh, I think it's a work in progress, and I think they're just going to cut bait, and it's one of those things where Flash is not a priority at the moment. So I think they're working on a short list of uh, things they want to have, and things they have to have, and uh, the have to have is still being polished up. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I watched the. I didn't get a chance to see if there were any live feeds or anything from PDC because that was around the time I was commuting to work this morning. But oh, I, you mean mo- Mobile World Congress? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I ended up watching the video on Channel Line as well. It looks really nice. It it has a real Zune HD feel to it, and screen looks to be larger. Apparently, depending on the manufacturer and what they want to do, it'll be either an OLED screen or an LCD screen. But apparently, it's got some real high specs on it. So, so apparently, all devices have to have GPS, capacitive touch screens, and accelerometer. Um, yeah, and numerous other things mm-hmm. to be able to run this Windows Phone 7. I would guess that there's some sort of a dedicated graphics processor that's needed for the, the type of graphics that we're going through. Um, one thing that I thought was uh, a little disconcerting in the video is that sometimes they would try to scroll, like flick something, and they mm-hmm. would have to do it twice. So I don't know if that's just a software tweak, or hopefully it's not something indicative of of, uh, of the hardware itself. The exact same thing happens on the Zune HD. It's quite annoying. I'm not sure what the issue is, if it just doesn't kind of, like, wake up in time, or if it's part of the hardware or software or what, but it, the, the, it's the same thing on the Zune HD. It's one of the more annoying things about it. When I go to um, take off the lock screen or whatever, and mm-hmm. I just go to flick it up, a lot of times I'll have to do that twice just to get it to unlock the zoom. So I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of the case. And as far as uh, having some kind of a graphics processor, and I would assume it's going to have a Tegra processor running on it, but I can't say that for sure. They it would make sense. It would make sense. Like it would yeah, make sense with the, the Xbox Live and the, and the Xbox Live integration. Yeah, I'm yeah. kind of curious to see what kind of Xbox Live integration there is. They weren't really showing much of that off. Apparently, all the details are supposed to really start coming out at Mix next month, which I'll get to cover all those in person. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome if you can get some questions answered. My biggest one is uh, um, their commitment to updates. 
because um, are they going to because this the new phone will integrate with the Zune software. So does that mean that they'll roll out firmware upgrades directly, or will they rely on car- carriers to roll those out roll those out also? Uh, what kind of are they moving towards more like the iPhone model or more their traditional model with the where the manufacturer or the carrier controls the the, the deployment of the upgrades? Yeah, I don't know. I would. From the sounds of it, since it's going to be so tightly integrated with the Zune, I would say that they'll just push the updates through the Zune marketplace like they do for the Zune now. That would be my guess, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions as far as this goes, as far as they don't know or they're not saying a whole lot in terms of what there's going to be, like in terms of apps and stuff. They're talking a lot about the different social integrations that you'll have and how it's going to tie in with your Facebook and your Twitter and everything. But they're not saying a whole lot yet about apps and how that's going to work. And they've said that there's some multitasking in the way that there's multitasking on the iPhone as far as you can listen to music and browse the web at the same time. But they're not saying anything about if there's going to be multitasking for third-party apps. or there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions at this point that I'm hoping maybe I'll get to find somebody and sit with and interview them at Mix next month. Yeah. Well, I just want to put out one thing that really stood out in this announcement is their launch partners on the hardware side. Um, I was really surprised to see Dell on that list. Um, I thought they would stay with Android and just ride that pony until it was dead, but apparently they're diversifying, and so they're going to be really in the cell phone business, not in the Android business. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see what the list of manufacturers or anything, I don't believe, actually. Never mind, I'm looking at that right now. Uh, Yeah, apparently it's... Ooh, they're going to have something for Sprint. Maybe that means I'll get a Nextel phone. Anyway. uh, Yeah, You have a little little drool there. Yeah, my beat-up Blackberry runs out of its contract in July, so I'm just kind of plotting what I want to do next. I've, I've been waiting for an Android phone on Nextel that's got the direct connect, but with as nice as the Windows Phone 7 was looking today, I think I might even go that route if they happen to have a one of those phones on there. Yeah. And with the announcement of the Windows Phone 7, they also pledged continued support for Windows Mobile 6.5 and continue to develop that line also. To what end, I'm not sure, but at least it, um, as a owner of a 6.5 device, I'm glad that I'm not being abandoned. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they're probably going to stay with it as much as they have to, security updates and stuff, but not much more than that, just pretty much more a case of um, providing for the... Um, app ecosystem that's already there because third-party apps from 6.5 will not translate to um, phone 7. So you're going to have so all these companies are going to have to completely rebuild their apps for the phone 7 series. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm guessing that's why they're going to they're saying they're going to continue supporting it or developing it or whatever. Yeah. Well. It's supposedly you're supposed to continuously have both lines and be the six 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 five devices are supposed to be the cheap ones and the seven devices are going to be the premium ones. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure you'll have twenty times the amount of stories coming coming from Mix. 
Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. They're talking about some of the stuff that they're giving the developers that take the Windows Phone 7 uh, track and mix and everything. So hopefully I'll get to find out a whole lot more then, and I'll make sure that we have that on the, on the show or do tons of blog posts about it or something to that extent. But speaking of things on the Internet... Apparently, France is voting tomorrow or today, depending on if you're a listener or one of the people recording this show. Um, apparently, they're voting on net censorship. Yeah, this is a little scary. Uh, um, uh, they're, they're trying to control... It sounds like almost like a China level of blocking firewall around the whole country in which they can monitor everything that goes in and out and try to stop anything that might be might be distasteful or something they don't like, like child pornography. But, of course, once you have this type of censorship in place, you can turn this on for anything. Yeah. Well, first we had the Great Firewall of China, then we had the Great Firewall of Australia, and now we're, going, now we're about to have the Great Firewall of France. Mm-hmm. But And, of course, this is all under the whole idea of child porn, which pretty much anything involving internet legislation, that is basically always the excuse. And keep in mind that this is the country that has a minister of culture to try to keep France French. And so if they feel that there might be a presence that's diluting their uh, culture they might be able to turn that on for whatever they feel is threatening their culture. So this could go for anything if if someone was uh, inclined to. Yeah, France seems to be kind of on the forefront of fighting everything that the open internet stands for. I mean, they've already got the three strikes law, and now they're getting this, or I assume the vote will probably go through, but who knows. They're definitely not looking out for the internet user by any means. Yeah, but uh, I think the countries that pass laws like this are going to start to have severe economic hardship. Um, Maybe not immediately, but probably in the development of uh, homegrown technologies and uh, companies that want to utilize the power of the internet. Because uh, there's one thing about imposed censorship. But one thing, but the biggest thing that happens with imposed censorship is also self-censorship. So people who feel that they might get cracked down on stop it before they even act. So that can cause just um, group thought to just be subdued, and uh, that could uh, hamper their growth in the future. It reminds me of a video from Ted last week that I saw. Uh, Moot, the guy that created the 4chan boards, he basically gave a presentation on how anonymity on the internet is a good thing and that we shouldn't be so quick to get rid of anonymity on the internet. And he gave all kinds of different examples of the things that have come from 4chan because of it. Like, um, there was apparently a story of some guy that was abusing his cat well, the guys on 4chan all got together, found out who he was within 24 hours. Within 48 hours, the guy was arrested for animal 
cruelty or whatever. And then there were talked about different things like um, the anonymous against Scientology and that and that 4chan is where um, Rick Rowling came from and lolcats and stuff like that. But it and that's the kind of stuff that thrives in an anonymous internet. And if they're gonna try and stop that or whatever that's basically hampering innovation on the internet among other things so he was saying 4chan is like the the nebulous of the internet that's where all the baby stars are born apparently apparently i guess that's where a lot of internet memes start so i think he was saying that that's the largest forum on the internet i think he was saying they had like around 7 million uniques a month, I think. I think that's the right number. I'd have to double-check. But yeah, there's, there's... I don't remember where I saw it. You can, I'm sure you can find it on the TED site. I think it's about a 10-minute presentation that he did. Yeah. But all, always, I know, all I know is don't mess with 4chan. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but speaking of cracking down on the internet and stuff that happens to float around on the internet. Apparently, NBC is planning on cracking down on Olympic pirates. Yes. Uh, NBC uh, is the official broadcaster and distributor of video for the 2010 Winter Olympics. And in celebration of the World Unity event of different countries coming together to celebrate uh uh, celebrate sport. Um, they want everyone to watch it in one medium, in, in the way that they want. So if you try to share this experience outside of this, um, they're going to try to crack down on you hard and uh, try to restrict everything that comes from a medium that they don't uh, approve. Yeah, apparently they've already got agreements with sites like Ustream and Justin.tv, among others to filter out any of these illegal broadcasts or people that may be um, using like their iPhones to take live video or something like that. And they're even cutting down on the amount of live footage from uh, the Olympics just to try and cut down on piracy as to where the only things that they're going to be broadcasting live, uh, I'm not sure if it's live total or just live on the Internet, but the only thing they're going to broadcast live is hockey and curling. Hmm. Not sure I really care about seeing curling live. <laughs> but well, yeah, there. So you're saying basically their response to the increased demand for their content is to actually reduce coverage. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So they're basically taking what should be 2,200 hours of live coverage and cutting it back to just a couple hundred hours of coverage just to kind of stop piracy and because most of the, they say that most of the stuff they don't that these people that most people don't really care about seeing live or whatever which hockey's a real big thing so that's why that's live but otherwise most of the stuff nobody really cares about seeing it live so they're just not even going to mess with it yeah, I've always one of the biggest thing about the Olympics. Uh, one is uh, I'm sorry for the people who live on the West Coast and get it time shifted, 
But there's huge amounts of spoilers in this global connective universe that we currently in, are in, where you hear of gold people who are winning things before it even has a chance to air here uh, in the United States. So until they understand that, you know, spoilers do happen, um, it, it's going to be hard for them to 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 get increased interest in something that's uh, only cons- consumed in one way, and that's time shifted. Uh, with the with all the DVRs we had, we can time shift if we want. Give it to us live. If we can't watch it live, we'll record it and watch it later. But the people who want to have it live don't have that option anymore. And I think uh, we're living in a world where we should get more options and not less. Yeah, it's one of the things that really irritates me because there's a lot of times with various television events, I tend to like to live blog things. Like I did with like Battlestar Galactica, and I think I've done it with a few other things. But when they have things like the Olympics or award shows or whatever that aren't aired live here in this part of the country, that we're on an hour or two tape delay, I that makes just where it's kind of impossible for me to live blog it because by that point everybody knows what's going on. And it's kind of pointless for me to waste my time with it. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's kind of sad that NBC isn't looking into other th- ways that they could do this or monetize this or anything. Instead, they're kind of just worried about piracy when they could maybe be selling some of these clips on iTunes or something like that or whatever. I mean, it's and most of this stuff people could probably pirate anyway if they wanted to they just have to be a little bit more clever about it yeah they should leverage their partnership with hulu more mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, well, that, that sounds perfect for this well nbc if i recall nbc pays a billion dollars to be able to broadcast for the broadcast rights of the olympics well it, you'd think that they would want to use every avenue they could to try and make some of that money back and earn some money on it yeah. But well, then again, that's maybe probably why NBC is the lowest rated network. Yeah, we'll see how it goes in two more years when the next when the 2012 Olympics come around, and hopefully we won't ta- we won't be talking about this then. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you want to get some some internet co- or some Olympics content on your iPhone or whatever, there is a free NBC Olympics app. Which I have, I haven't had a chance to play with it. But speaking of copyright-related issues, apparently an Australian judge has ruled that facts can't be copyrighted. Which is very interesting. And it's going to make things extremely difficult for a lot of people, like, uh, I don't know, textbooks? Yeah, that this should be really inter- interesting. Of course, this, only has, um, this is only in Australia, or at least... At this point, but I'd be wouldn't be too surprised to see stuff like this start popping up here in the states and other places around the world. But they're basically saying you can't copyright facts, whether it's a textbook or a TV guide. If that's an actual fact, it can't be copywritten, no matter how much time it took you to compile the facts. Mm-hmm. Now I wonder if uh, if it can't be copywritten, would plagiarism you know, 
would be hard to enforce in the schools in Australia. Because, it, I mean, if I copy and paste uh, a, a, a recollection of the history of World War II, and it's been proven and double-checked as fact, would that then say, well, I have this, the, the rights to publish this without giving attribution because it's not copyrighted in mm-hmm. my paper? Yeah, it's going to make things a little bit confusing. I don't know if you saw a whole lot last week. There were several stories, I think they were both from the New York Times, now that I think about it, largely dealing with um, plagiarism and cheating in school. Mm-hmm. One of them was apparently, I believe it was at Yale or something, one of the Ivy League schools was saying that their um, largest number of uh, cheaters on tests and stuff was coming from the computer science department because people were just sharing code or taking it off of other people's and then there and there were there was another story about someone who there was a young girl from I don't think it was from here in the states I think it was from somewhere else but she's apparently got some big book that she's sold all kinds of turns out she plagiarized a fair bit of it. And she's not disputing that fact. And one of the points that was made in kind of both of these things is that in this um, day of the internet where basically everything's shared, kind of what's the point of not sharing everything anymore? Yeah, as you know, the old saying is information wants to be free. Um, but here, here we're going to talk about this later about how people learn and mm-hmm. how things have changed since we were kids. Um, mm-hmm. But but um, it's less about information. It's more about assimilation and integration. Mm-hmm. So, so I can understand why there's less effort in just getting something done. It's more than... It's more that did I accomplish the goal? Yes. How I came came about it is less important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in our society, I think we're just losing the we're losing that the journey matters, not just the end destination and the end result. So I think that's kind of where this mentality is moving into. Yeah, I think it's largely a case of a lot of students are realizing. Why are we reinventing the wheel? Why are we doing the exact same assignment that everybody else has been doing for the past who knows how many years? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, especially that they teach in computer science, is reuse of code. Well, you got the internet full of code, reuse it. Mm-hmm. It's like don't teach us reuse and then get mad when we actually reuse code. Right. And that's one of the things I never understood. As far as I'm concerned, I've always been irritated by. The fact that whenever I get assignments, a lot of times it's stuff that's been assigned in years past or whatever. I I just have this idea lately, especially, like, take, for example, computer science students. Instead of basically reinvent, redoing everything that's been done before, once they once you get to a point of you've learned how to do something, get all the students, get them involved in, like an open source project or give them make them come up with projects of their own that they can actually 
take this stuff and use it in some kind of a real world scenario where they can kind of see what kind of um, stumbling blocks and stuff they're going to come across in writing this kind of code and whatever so they can get more real world experience rather than okay, repeat this thing that you can also find on the internet that everybody else has done a hundred times before. Yeah. Yeah. Writing throwaway code is never fun. Yeah, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's just busy work. Yeah. But that that's just kind of the way I've always been. But then again, I've never been a big fan of education, period. So yeah. that's just me. Yeah. I've never been, never been a big fan of racism. Eh. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, it comes and goes. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you get some really good ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always some good jokes here and there. Yeah. But speaking of racism, apparently racist content on a U.S. server can be within the U.K. jurisdiction. Yeah, so uh, the, apparently the, the threshold of whether or not um, uh, a U.K. justice system can enforce penalties or... Uh, leverage any kind of verdict against a U.S. server for the content that's visible in the U.K. is whether or not uh, if a significant percentage of the content that is consumed from that service comes from the U.K. So if most of their users are on that service or, or they seem to cater to U.K. Um, UK viewers, um, they can be held uh, to U.K. standards. Yeah, essentially this comes from a case about some sort of a racist material online that was published online but as far as the UK courts are concerned if whatever is posted online even though it may be on a server in another country if it came from the UK if that's where the original idea came from the material was created from if that's where a large amount of the material is being consumed from then it then UK law applies Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I, I was kind of surprised by this. I figured that upload it to another country, you wouldn't be held quite as liable, but at the same time, hearing their, why they're saying this, it does make a decent amount of sense. Well, it sounds like you would need some sort of treaty um, to be able to enforce any penalties against a country um, or a, a company in another country. For instance, uh, in this case in which a, uh, a U.S. server has some materials that was found offensive, offensive in U.K., the U.K. can pass, what, a hundred million pound penalty against them? Mm-hmm. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. Yeah, this is, certainly opens up quite a few questions, but I just the general direction of it I'm, I'm kind of liking to an extent because this way you can't get around your essentially get around your local laws just by uploading it to somewhere else now if you do so anonymously and they can't track it back to you then you might be okay but yeah, that's that's just the pirate in me yeah well I mean I like to see well apparently this came about on a tangible case so I would like to see enforcement uh, at the end of this, so th- I think this is something I want to revisit. Uh, hopefully, it, it stays in the news. Yeah, it'll be something to interesting to keep an eye on. But speaking of things that are always fun to keep an eye on, and speaking of vision, 
Apparently, a 13-year-old or a 13-year sentence for a hacker by the name of Max Vision has been handed down by the courts in San Francisco for um, his stealing of over of around two million credit card numbers from banks, businesses, and other hackers. Yeah. So right now, this is the longest uh, ever uh, sentence for a hacker. 13 years. The previous record was nine years. Uh, he's 37, and he was a security expert and even worked on some government contracts. Uh, he was his first foray or clash with, with uh, the law. He patched government servers, I think even the Pentagon servers. And then as he patched them for security holes, he installed back doors so he can get back in. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But, yeah, he's apparently been around the whole security and hacking community for a long time. Eventually, I mean, he started off as kind of like a security consultant doing helping out with different companies and stuff and even helping the FBI and stuff like that. Well, eventually he got into the whole, or apparently coming out of a stint in prison for hacking or something like that, as I recall, he ended up getting into the whole credit card number swapping thing where there's communities on the internet where hackers buy and sell credit card numbers. Well, apparently he got into that and got into some various boards and stuff and ended up getting caught by the FBI, basically, for swapping some 2 million credit card numbers. And now, because of it, he's getting 13 years in prison, although on good behavior he can get out in in 8. But even after that, he still has a $27.5 million worth of restitution to pay, and he has to serve 5 years under court supervision at which time he'll only be allowed to use a computer for legitimate employment and education. Yeah, and he's lucky he can even use a computer. Some people aren't, weren't so lucky. And um, there was, if I read this correctly, I can't seem to find it now, but uh, even though he has, he has to pay the $27.5 million, there is over uh, $80 million in fraudulent charges on the credit cards he did have. Yeah, and they figured even with that, he only actually managed to make not even a million dollars on the whole scheme. Hmm. Which, not exactly sure how you pull that off, but okay, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I don't even... I'm trying to think how much time after he got out of prison that Kevin Mitnick couldn't even use a... even touch a computer. I think he had two years, right? Two years after he got out? Something like that. I was thinking it was actually maybe closer to five, but I'm not sure now that I think about it. Yeah, so he got off pretty easy, but uh, he could have gotten life in prison, actually. Uh, but he totally felt really bad and really remorseful and really helped the prosecution, uh, I guess, to implicate other people and to give them some insights on how schemes like this work for other cases and to make sure uh, some of this stuff uh, doesn't happen anymore. So he's very, very cooperative, which was which is a good thing. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how long this record holds up, because apparently they're getting ready to sentence uh, 
a Michigan hacker by the name of Brian Solicito, who apparently had a went cracking through the corporate network of the Lowe's home improvement chain. And I believe he's looking at between 17 to 25 years in prison based on some plea agreements that they're go- that have been thrown out there. Yeah. So this is the dominoes falling. One leads to another, which leads to another plea agreement, which implicates another person, which implicates, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so this is not the last of these cases. And uh, I, I, to the truth, things like this make me feel safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that, I mean, these are legitimate criminals that are doing some very nefarious things, especially uh, not just to governments, but just to private citizens. So um, it, it is a genuine crime, and it almost would put it up there with Enron. I mean, not as bad, but a lot of people lost a lot of money because uh, this one person touched the lives of so many people. Yeah. Well, in the end, I think it's probably the credit card companies that get it the worst because they usually Actually, have no. all kinds of fraud protection and stuff. Actually, no. The merchants. Uh, if there is, let's say, I'm uh, Buy.com and someone purchased something with a fraudulent card, the credit card company doesn't keep um, still keeps the money, mm-hmm. and it's the merchant who has to eat that cost. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I guess yeah. I didn't necessarily realize how all that worked. Yeah, so it's the, it's, that's why a lot of companies like Apple and Dell, they do a lot of fraud pre- pre- prevention, not because the goodness of their hearts, it's because to reduce their liabilities for fraud on their end. If it was truly only the credit card company that would, that would have to eat it, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't invest nearly the amount of time in fraud prevention. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. Makes sense. But speaking of Apple, apparently around the time of the iPad launch, they're looking at testing some lower prices for TV shows. Yes. Um, so the pad <laughs> will be filled with content for cheaper. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. Apparently, and I've never purchased any TV shows on iTunes for reasons we've d- discussed many times on this show in the past. Um, apparently TV shows on iTunes and standard def go for one ninety nine and HD go for two ninety nine. Well, apparently they're looking at lowering the cost of at least the standard def episodes to a dollar. Mm-hmm. And Which, it's funny how they're pushing this for the iPad, but not so much for the Apple TV, which is strange. Yeah, I, I, I would think that they would do it with that first rather than with the iPad, but I'm guessing maybe it's just a way of around the time of the iPad actually coming out, it's a way of them getting more press because they're also dropping the price of TV shows, so it's going to make the iPad look even better. But the thing about the iPad, it doesn't have proper video out, at least not built in. You probably could get a dongle for that, but even still, it's limited to the the output resolution is limited uh, to to the same resolution of the iPad itself. So you couldn't scale up to HD, even though you can download and pay for HD shows, you still can't experience HD on this iPad. And then you couldn't even export it to a larger television screen. So I think that's wrong. And that's, uh, and what they're doing is, is, um, is artificially, 
uh, um, like downscaling television show if they're trying to make the iPad a consumption device. They really need to refocus on Apple TV, especially with uh, Boxy and the Roxo, Roxio, um, sorry, the Netflix box um, getting more accolades and more adoption. They really do need a if they're focusing on content and trying to get more content out there, they need to focus on the Apple TV. Yeah, the Apple TV has never been anything more than a hobby project from the, for them. So I I can kind of understand why they've they're not doing this for that. I mean, the Apple TV doesn't have there's not that many people that own Apple TVs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to to me it seems like it's a good idea as far as trying to sell more TV shows because now you're getting it at more of an affordable price. But apparently, I guess they're even still kicking around the idea of offering a subscription service so that you can watch as many TV shows as you want for 30 bucks a month. But so far, the only ones that have had any interest in that are Disney and CBS. So who knows when that'll ever happen. Yeah, yeah I, would need, I would need more content for 30 bucks a month. Because at 30 bucks a bu- month, it'd have to rival cable, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would... Thirty bucks is moving into instead of casual, and it, that's more of a primary viewing source for content. Yeah, well, at thirty bucks a month, let's see. What I think I think I'm paying, what I think I'm paying about thirty bucks a month for internet, and with my internet connection, I can pirate all the TV shows I want for thirty bucks a month. I don't have to pay sixty bucks a month and just to get all, all the TV shows I want. Well, not all you want because you have a cap. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which I've run close to on a couple of occasions, but yeah, I I would much rather prefer the pirated route. But then again, I'm cheap, so right. Anyway, which reminds me, uh, I saw some stories earlier today that it sounds like the iPad is going to be having the Fair Play DRM on eBooks for the iPad, which I'm not surprised. Because it is using EPUB, but they're just wrapping their own DRM around that. But then again, also, it's going to get cracked probably, what, two, three days? What is the estimate that you think? Four days? Give it a uh, I don't know. I was kind of surprised at how long it took to crack the Kindle's DRM. It took, I think, close to two years or something like that for them to crack that. So I'm going to go a week. Go a week? Yeah. yeah. But it just kind of depends. I earlier first thing, one of the first stories I saw this morning was that apparently the main iPhone hackers, like the guys behind like the um, yellow snow updates or whatever, mm-hmm. apparently Apple has gone through and blocked their devices or blocked them from accessing like the App Store and stuff. For now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just wait for them. To just all they have to do is just get a new device. Probably, I don't know, unless and maybe change their account name on your account or something like that. But I don't know. From my understanding, it's so far just like the main hackers, but it could be coming to people who jailbreak their phones too. I don't know. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the DRM at least a week. Yeah, that's that's what I'm giving it. I'd say especially, especially, well, the thing is, like the Kindle is its own proprietary format, but mm-hmm. um, this is EPUB, which is you know, it, it, 
they're just having a DRM wrapper around it. So I think that's going to make it easier to further the track. Well, I think if they use Fairplay DRM, it's going to really irritate a lot of people because one of the reasons that a lot of people were excited about the iPad is it's using this free and open standard like EPUB. But if they're going to turn around and wrap it in DRM, it kind of defeats the purpose. And that kind of concerns me with the story that we have here about you know, how Congress wants to provide money for schools to purchase uh, e-readers so they can consume textbooks in a digital form. Right now, the, the digital landscape for books and documents and publications is so so um, non-uniform. There is no standard. So I would hate for someone to spend a lot of money on, let's say, a Kindle, and then the Kindle ends up not winning the, the EPUB war and goes by the wayside. Or the same thing with the iPad, or the same thing with with uh, with any other e-reader. Um, so until we have a, a, a fact, a standard, either de facto or or, or formalized, I, mm-hmm. I think it's 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 not worth it to put your eggs in one basket. Yeah, it's still a ways out there before they could probably really do something like this. I mean, you can't go and I mean the textbook experience and stuff like that on the Kindle just isn't there. I there you can get textbooks and stuff on a Kindle, and I don't remember which schools just got done doing a. I think MIT was one of them that just got done doing a trial run of giving the students Kindles and having all their books on there and to use their Kindles for their learning and stuff. And apparently the students hated it, mm-hmm. which kind of surprised me. But then again, that that's just kind of the state of how those kind of books are on the Kindle at this point. Because the Kindle is essentially very much a first-generation device. Even if you're talking about the Kindle 2 or the DX or whatever, it's basically the basic ebook reader, and that's it. Whereas you'll start starting to see some of the, what I would consider a second-generation device, like the Plastic Logics Q that was shown off at CES, where it takes that in the same kind of content, but puts it in a much more user-friendly way, and basically it becomes about the user experience rather than just the content. And then I think we'll see in about two or three years more in the way of a third generation as far as, and I'm not including the iPad in this, because um, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's an oversized iPod. But as far as like e-readers themselves, in probably about the next two years, two to three years, you'll start to see the color screens. And I, there was a story I saw last week of the company that makes the same the screen for the Kindle and stuff. They're going to start coming out with like some slight color stuff and stuff that can do some sort of video and stuff. And then I think that'll be the case of that being the third generation. And I think before we can really see something like this take off in the education world, it's going to have to hit that third generation. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, like the the Microsoft Courier concept would be something that would probably be in that thir- third generation class of devices you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and so I, I, th- this is an admirable bill, and it's very tech forward, and I, I kind of applaud the, the, the spirit of the bill of being able to n- get devices in, in the hands of budding students to make education and access to books easier. 
I mean, mm. they, they, the same uh, act that they're using to expand this, this E-rate, um, help spread Internet to schools and through K-12. through um, But right now, I don't think, I think it's too early a call to make an investment uh, of the $2.25 billion uh, to, to, to get these devices out that might just, in a year or two, like you put it, have to be thrown away because they can't be used. Yeah, essentially, if they wanted to do this right now, the only real option that they have is to use either Adobe's reader and just use, go with PDF documents or use, like, Kindle for PC. And then you can get normal books that look essentially a lot like PDFs and what they would look like as a normal book, but on the Kindle software as to where it, you can get the benefits of that as far as, like, syncing between the Kindle software, your iPods, your actual Kindles and stuff like that. So if, if that's really the route that they wanted to go, that's pretty much their only op- real option at this point. Mm-hmm. But that that's just kind of the way I'm seeing it. To, to do it at this point, yeah, it needs to be done, but at this point it's just kind of throwing away money. Right. And uh, kids don't want to read books anyway. At least uh, this next story seems to imply that. Yeah, I'm not sure if I necessarily um, subscribe to the same way of looking at it that this story is. But this story coming out of Mail Online from the UK saying that the internet rewires our brains and makes teenagers more vulnerable to mental illness. Yeah, it's saying that the kids are faster to find things on the internet. Uh, they you, they go through less pages to find that, and they report the findings a lot quicker and are able to multitask much better, which is not very very surprising because we have that ability. Um, there's not much multitasking with a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but this reminds me of a story that I've heard. Um that usually, when when you're communicating to someone else, like you and I are talking, mm-hmm. you don't go into prose about uh, when you when you when you ask me like how was how was Mobile World Congress? I don't say well it was a a, a dusk winter or a, a, a damp uh, air of stench in the air and the glistening of the sun on the chair was uh, almost reflective to the point of blindingness and. Uh, the beauty of the auditorium. I don't go into all this prose. I tell you the facts. I give you the information you want immediately, straightforward. And currently, books aren't written to give you the facts in a concise manner. You have to read the whole thing, digest it yourself, and to and extract the facts that you want. And I think kids are trying to cut through the prose and just get to the information. And uh, I think that's kind of what is expressed in this study here. Yeah, they basically said that they took a group of teenagers and a group of older people to and had them like search the internet and stuff to find particular stuff, and that the younger people search, had to search fewer pages and spent less time on each particular page looking for information, and they didn't... Um, browse around through a particular site looking for information like older people did. And I think that's really a case of the fact that 
teenagers and stuff have grown up around the internet and they know how to filter this stuff out what's going to what kind of information is going to be good information what what information comes from what website and how to see right off if this website is going to be helpful for what you're looking for or not rather than scrolling through looking through a page making sure that it's not going to be useful and even if there's comes a time when you're not sure all you have to do is hit control F search for the word that you're looking for and see the kind of the context around the word or search phrase that you've looked for to know whether or not it's going to be useful or not I mean if I when I compare myself to like my parents or my grandparents I can usually find something in a matter of seconds with them it'll take them it can take them a couple hours to find what they're looking for right like if you did a search on El Nino and the top two hits are Weather Channel and another for Blogspot and another for something else and then you see one for Wikipedia I'm going to hit the Wikipedia one mm-hmm. and some people who's inexperienced might would not know that and just might have to click through and read through all of those um to get the information that they think they're looking for. Yeah, I think it's all a case of kind of having grown up around this and being used to this kind of an environment. Yet they're saying that it's rewiring kids' brains and it can make them more susceptible to mental illnesses and stuff like that because they're not reading and all kinds of stuff. And it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's just that they know how to use the tools effectively. Yeah. Well, speaking of wanting to learn how to use tools, apparently Google kind of wants to learn how to create a fiber network, and they're going to pick a some some area around the U.S. somewhere, a community between I think it's like fifty thousand people and half million people, and give them fiber to the home internet. Yeah. Apparently, they're taking petitions to the end of March. And after they get all their input, they're going to actually make a uh, make a, a a a push to get this rolled out, um, which is interesting because they're not just telling us what they're doing. There seems like uh, they'll take some input. I don't know how much of that input they'll use for their final decision. This could be just a front to sound like they're taking input. Um, but we we knew we know that. Uh, that Google was snatching up all this dark fiber around the country for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think they're just trying to flex their muscle to see exactly how much influence they can place on local carriers to bump up their speed. Um, because, I mean, we've talked about this before. There's very little choice mm-hmm. in, in Internet providers, uh, especially with these uh, these franchise agreements. Uh, this, these exclusive uh, municipalities uh, have granted cable companies. Uh, so we have DSL, we have satellite, but that's about it. And uh, the prices aren't competitive enough, and the quality of the service is not on par with each other to to uh, to supplant some of the major carriers. So uh, I know if there was a Google alternative, I'll I would jump on it in a heartbeat. Yeah, so would I. I made as soon as I read this story, I nominated my town, just because if we can get somebody in here other than Comcast, I would be real happy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this seems to be a, more of a case of it sounds like they're wanting to 
learn what it's like to be an ISP, especially for a, like a fiber ISP, and then share their results and whatever they whatever conclusions they come up with with the regular ISPs like a Verizon or a Comcast or whatever, and see if they can help them improve their networks and the whole internet experience. Yeah. Also keep in mind, this is going to help them immensely in advertising because you don't have to sign into Google services for them to know where you're located and your demographic information. If you're paying for the fiber service, they know where you live. They know generally who you are. Uh, with and they know all of the networks you're going to, not just on their property, but uh, on the internet as a whole. So I can see how this definitely could be an advantage to them in that front. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that Google knows and wants to share, last week they launched Google Buzz, which it, the fact that Yahoo hasn't sued them yet over the name kind of surprises me. Yeah, they must have been buzzed when they came up uh, with their privacy policy because a lot of people are pissed off that uh, some of their contacts are being shared publicly without their knowledge. Yeah, well, essentially, from what I've experienced of buzz so far, is it seems to be kind of a little bit of a friend feed knockoff almost. Yes. That that's kind of the feel that I have from it is. It's basically a different. It's kind of a different implementation of FriendFeed that's just kind of automatically integrated into your Gmail. And doesn't that make you take pause? Because FriendFeed was developed by an ex-Googler, and so I wonder if some of that concept was developed inside of Google uh, or in concert with someone else in Google for them to come up with Google Buzz. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting and kind of. Curious to see how far they take it. So far, I found it, the service to be extremely annoying because I get all kinds of buzz alerts sent to my BlackBerry, and I haven't yet figured out how to stop it. But I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of the service so far. I know a lot of people are. I'm just not one of them. Then again, I don't really need another place to spend my time, another social network or whatever, especially when I have ones that fill the same purpose as this one. Yeah, they're, um, I, I don't use the web interface of Gmail. I use an IMAP client, uh, Thunderbird specifically, to access it. So I haven't really seen a lot of influence on this, at least on my end. It hasn't. I, I set it up. I, I saw that it was already automatically sharing some of my friends, but uh, I really didn't have that big of a problem with that. Um, so I still have it on. I just don't uh, see how I'm supposed to use it, really. Because mm-hmm. the friends that I am connected with, on Buzz are usually the same friends I'm either connected on Twitter or Facebook. So why yeah. do I need to talk to the same people using a third network? I mean, what is the advantage of it? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, if there is some some Google-only service that will allow me to uh, communicate better than those other, th- other two mediums, then maybe. But right now, I don't see any advantages. Yeah, I... I, neither do I. That's kind of the way I see it. And they haven't even bothered to um, integrate anything like Google Translator. I'm, I'm looking at one on at one of the buzzes, I guess is what we're calling it right now, and a lot of it's all Chinese characters. I can't read Chinese. So why this is even showing up for me, I don't know. It, 
as far as I'm concerned, either if it's another language, either don't show it up or use a translator. Yeah, but I mean, they have that. They their their work. They have a translator, so why not use it? Yeah. Well, hopefully within the next few months, this will they'll kind of work on it and make it a little bit of a better experience. It's not bad. It's just not wonderful. But anyway, we're running a little bit on the long side, so hurry up and get right through the tips of the week. This week we have the 10 best ways to use your PC while you're sleeping and at work. Basically everything from turning your computer into a DVR to automatically updating Windows, running antivirus, anti-spyware. Um, transcoding. Yeah, transcoding, defragging, uh, processing or scheduling BitTorrent downloads, which that's probably my main thing that I do when I'm not sitting at my computer, or downloading or preloading games on like Steam or whatever, and just... Ten different ways for what you can do with your computer while you're not around. And if all else fails, you can always just do a distributed computing project like SETI at home or... um, Folding at home. Yeah, folding at home. I used to do a lot of Einstein at home. And all kinds of stuff. Running a music server, you name it. Anyway... The other tip of the week is nine more ways to promote your blog offline. Basically, from starting small, kind of using your um, connections, your friends, your family, stuff like that, to telling your coworkers and fellow enthusiasts, advertising to maybe groups in your community, uh, target real-world recipients of your blog, um, asking friends to guest post friends to comment, stuff like that, and inviting people from Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn, stuff like that to view your blog. Just several different ways of how to promote yourself and your blog and just kind of grow your presence offline as well as online. Little nit, uh, inviting your friends from Facebook, MySpace, or LinkedIn, that's online. So Yeah, they kind of screwed up on that one. Yeah. Okay, all right. But anyway, um, that is all of our show for this week, which, again, you can find all of the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, as well as you can find out more about the tips of the week. And if you'd like to donate, there's a nice little donation button there, too. And we added a Zoom button so that if you want to subscribe with your Zoom software, perhaps you're one of the developers working on the Zoom phone, I don't know, or the Windows Mobile 7 phone, or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. But now you can subscribe with the Zoom as well as there's an iTunes button there, so don't forget to subscribe to the show. Feel free to donate if you'd like. We would greatly appreciate it. And at least tell your friends, your family, and everything, and everyone else that you can think of about the show. And I guess that'll be it for this week. Don't forget to follow at Global Geek News. That's where I will be announcing kind of when the next show sometime next week will come out since it won't be coming out. Or I don't assume that it'll come out at the same normal Tuesday morning release like usual since I've got the concert Monday night. But you can find out 
more there, and I always pass along tens of uh, news-related links on there as well. And, and you can follow me. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter, and you can follow Wesley, who is Wesley83 on Twitter. And don't forget to check out Wesley's blog. It's wesley 83 com. Yep, that's right. Hey, I got to write for a change. <laughs> but anyway, that's it for this week's show. We will see you guys next week. Later. Later.